Welcome back, guys. Good to have everybody. Good to be here. <laughs> we have regular super guest, Dr. Suzanne Chad with us. Yay! Thank you. I was feeling very lonely, so thank you for inviting me back. I appreciate it. I cry every week when I'm not on. It makes me sad. Um, and we're going to do something different with the beers today, correct? Yeah, so we are doing, we're working with one brewery, except for Phil. Uh, new, he's doing a New Hampshire thing, but all of us in the Chicago area are drinking a... Uh, sample packet from uh, Milwaukee Brewing Company, which is uh, MKE Brewery, and it is their uh, hop packet sampler. So <clears throat> we are in no way affiliated affiliated with them in any way, shape, or form until yeah. probably after the <laughs> right, <laughs> right after we talk about how yummy their beer is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah so if we, you're a hop fan, right? Uh, Nick and I are starting with the Hop Happy, which is an IPA, and Suzanne is starting with the Citrus Happy, which is a citrus IPA. Yes. Yeah. Spoiler alert, there's a little bit of hops in there. Yeah. <laughs> We're very yeah, hoppy. I was, I was neglected to be told that this was a hop pack mm-hmm. when I was told that I would get beer I liked. I was up in so, Milwaukee this weekend, yeah. and it was too exciting. So. <laughs> well, it's good stuff nonetheless. Yes. Thank you. Um, a lot of stuff going on again. Um, yes. Probably... Best to pick up where we left off. I guess Korea has been in the news pretty much since we last broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, flexing their their fake muscle through whatever square that is that they show over and over and over again. I think those missiles just look like cardboard at this point. They might be yeah. they might be paper mache. Both both <laughs> uh, yeah. North Korea flexing its muscles so and, and Donald Trump flexing. Mm-hmm. Phil sent me a text on Easter to wish me a happy Easter and he also said enjoy the meal because it might be your last because we're heading towards nuclear war with Korea. <laughs> it was looking it was not looking good there for uh, for uh, about 24 hours. It was everybody the rhetoric kept ramping up and ramping up. And then it all fell apart, so, you, and we're back to normal. Phil, do you want to share, right, as, just as before just we went on air, say. you were talking about uh, the aircraft carrier. Do you want to share that story with our listeners? Yeah, so, so it, I mean, it, the, the story, yeah, it's like this massive buildup. There's been this rhetoric increasing for the last couple of weeks about, you know, Donald Trump has had plans presented to him for the assassination of Kim Jong-un, and you've got, uh, you know, he's talked about how a strike is not off the table, and... We're sending a carrier group to North Korea. It's the, it was the anniversary, 105th anniversary of um, the founder's birth. They had parades. They were going to do a, we were worried they were going to do a nuclear launch or a nuclear test, rather. And it all culminated in them actually trying a missile test on <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, which blew up immediately. Yeah. Like, Five seconds, nowhere. right, yes, after yes. launch. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> immediately exploded no success whatsoever um we you know there was i don't know i don't know if they were celebrating or whatever and then today the news came out that all of the rhetoric coming from trump and the u.s about how we were sending a carrier group to north korea which was what was helping to escalate the tensions it came out today that they were going in the wrong direction (laughs) now i should say i should say they probably knew exactly where they were going (laughs) trump didn't know what was happening so yes all this talk about how we had a carrier group going to sit um basically between japan and korea the carrier group was actually somewhere off near australia on its way to indonesia or it was near indonesia on its way to australia thousands of miles away heading in the opposite direction basically. he may not know what the globe actually looks like right, right? or my right. five-year-old calls it the earth ball so like what the earth ball looks ball like ball. and how quickly one can get from indonesia to 
Korea, yeah. you know, maybe it's an overnight trip in his mind. Yes. I'm not entirely sure. He's the Buster Bluth of presidents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious, but it's also, like, deeply concerning, right? <laughs> like, Trump doesn't know. Like, I mean, he's the one who should know what's happening and where, I mean, like, no, either... Either he has no idea, or people aren't listening to him. He's out of the loop. I don't. I don't know. But it's not. It's not particularly. I mean, maybe it's encouraging because it meant that we weren't actually threatening war with North Korea. But it's discouraging, to the extent that we don't seem to know what's happening. Well, and North Korea just probably assumed it was there, right? So you right. get the threat, you get the intimidation, all of that. But like, maybe well, it was planned. Right. Maybe they were trying to get a rise out of it. Right. Well, it is possible. And Trump got a lot of credit for that, showing a little bit of muscle, pushing yeah. back. Um, yeah, no, it, it, was, it, was, it was a curious development in terms of how the world is reacting to this escalation between you know two men basically you know showing off their weapons. So Yeah, I mean, I have to wonder if there was a conversation that was had probably at Mar-a-Lago, where it was, hey, maybe we should think about sending a carrier. We've yeah. got this one. We could get there in X amount of time. Yeah. And all he heard was, we have a carrier. And he's like, oh, we're sending a carrier, right? That's what we're doing. Yeah. And doesn't, like, listen to the rest of it. Yeah. And then, you know, says stuff. Well, and then the other... Half attention. I think they've turned it around now. They're like, well, you get to North Korea. But it's going to take, like, a week, Phil, right? I mean, it's like, those things don't go fast. A slow boat, <laughs> too. Right. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I mean, what we were talking about last time, like, especially after the ballistic missile test, if anyone thinks that there is a real possibility that they pose a significant threat to the region, let alone, like, the west coast of the United States... At any point in the near future, I think that's like this just proved that it was completely ludicrous to me. I disagree. Okay, why? So I I I agree with Phil actually, but I'm gonna I defer to IR first. So I I think that there is like I find it hilarious, and I see I've seen all sorts of cartoons, and it's easy to make fun of North Korea and talk about you know Kim Jong Un as this you know put him in picture in cartoons. He's this little tiny guy, and he's ranting and raving and. All of that. And and there, I mean, he, to some extent, I mean, he's, he is sort of an idiot, but they have a large and relatively, you know, not relative to the U.S. necessarily, but relatively powerful military. Sure. And, and some obvious level of instability. And so I, I think left alone, I don't know that they're necessarily a huge risk, but I don't know, like the provoca if we continue to poke and prod and provoke... I, they're crazy enough that if we if we push them far enough, I think that yeah, I mean it wouldn't end well for them, but they would do something. It wouldn't end well for anyone. It's uh, certainly not a good thing. Yeah, I'm not saying that they wouldn't do something, but realistically, the only conflict that they could ever win was a land-based conflict into South, South Korea. 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 <laughs> yeah. They yeah. don't pose a threat to the rest of the region or anything across but, any large body of water. But the problem is that a land-based conflict between North and South Korea immediately brought, draws in Japan and the U.S. and right. the U.N. and China and Russia and all sorts of other people. And all of a sudden, yeah. we're in a world and so war. it's like saying that you know, prior to World War One, you know, Serbia doesn't pose a threat to anyone. <laughs> um, and, Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the, so. the thing that the thing that concerns me, and I, I tend to think you're right, Nick, that. In the United States, we shouldn't be worried about North Korea. I, the intercontinental ballistic missile is not... I, I just don't think they're really close. But the experts that look at missiles and nuclear technology, suddenly those guys are much more worried, right? They're saying there's been this jump, that there was a decade where they were making very minimal progress. And now, in the last couple of years, 
you know, they, they're moving in the right direction. Even though, like, 88% of the missile launches are not working, right. <laughs> uh, there's still there's something happening there that has the national security community more worried than in previous periods. Sure. So, mm-hmm. um, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I mean, a lot of what Phil was saying, but I think I, looking at this in kind of a broader scale, that it's not necessarily just the threat that North Korea poses and if that threat exists or not, mm-hmm. right? But it's also now we are engaging in conversations about nuclear war or some kind of enhanced air war with a nation that we have not had these conversations about for a really, really long time. And it's happened very quickly. It's escalated very quickly. So we're having these conversations and we're like potentially on the brink of war with North Korea like over Easter weekend because why not, right? And then speaking from the one who celebrates Passover instead, but still. And then we have conversations about, you know, is the Cold War ramping up again? And is Syria kind of this, this, like the proxy war is being fought between... It's this whole picture, yeah. and if North Korea finds itself in a situation, and Kim, Kim Jong-un, who is not a particularly rational actor, finds himself in a situation where he could escalate the tension that's already existing and that we are strapped for resources because we're putting ourselves out in all these places, that is some kind of effect mm-hmm. that could be had that isn't necessarily a military or missile catastrophe, mm. yeah. but it's a larger scale, like inserting themselves in a position to make mayhem. And you're, you're putting... The world safety in the hands of Kim Jong Un and Donald Trump, right? So and, and so on, on some level, that should keep that us came up out at in night. slow motion out of your mouth. Yeah. Like, right. and so those two individuals are the ones, or their administrations are going to be negotiating this out, and that 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 terrifies me. Even if we accept that North Korea probably can't pose an existential threat to the United States. Okay, right. I, I agree. Oh so, yeah. So, what? What was better about the, and it's a term that's been used a lot over the past week, the strategic patience What an doctrine. awful term. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take strategic patience right. with you. I'm going to be yeah. very yeah. angry yeah. with right. you. Right. Right. We'll right. send a letter right. when you yeah. upset us. Yeah, we'll send a letter. A strongly worded yeah. email. Strongly worded email. Right. Basically what that means is we're going to wait and hope things get better. Right. See how yeah. crazy you're going to really yeah. be, and then we'll make a decision. Yeah. I, I, and I, I don't necessarily agree with every every action that's been undertaken in the past couple of weeks, <clears throat> but I I think there's something to be said. And, you know, you kind of have to prod the bear a little bit just to see what it's thinking but, and what action it's gonna it's gonna take. Well, but why? That's I mean, this I is like this say. is this is my this is like I I think that's like the common. I think that's not an uncommon approach, but that's a very American approach. Like, sure. why, why do we feel the need to go out into the woods and prod the bear, right? Well, like, if there is a bear. The bear. Right. If be. there is a bear. But we're all like, saying that there's a bear. They, we, they have some sort of nuclear device. We know that they do. The bear's there. The bear's there. Yeah. bear's there. bear's there. Maybe the analogy right. is the anthill, right? So you know when there's an anthill, you, you want to poke it, right? You want to poke it and you want to see, see what happens. Fall apart. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you don't know if, if it's if it's fire ants that are going to attack you or if it's like the How ants. How fast can you run? Right, yeah. And so that's, that's a very American thing to do. Let's let's poke it and see what happens. I like the, I like the bear analogy better. <laughs> but as a person who lives where there are theoretically bears, if I'm out on a walk and there's a bear near me, 
I like, you know, make a lot of noise and pass, like, give it, give it some wide berth. I don't like go up to it and like, bah, get off the trail, bear. <laughs> kind of skin it and wear it as a coat. Well, yeah. unless said bear has nuclear weapons and ballistic <laughs> missiles, yeah, you All probably shouldn't be doing that. Stay out of its way. <laughs> so I, so I asked Bill this question. I think it was yesterday because again, I say this all the time on the podcast. I defer to Bill because he sits in my office and I can ask him about mm. foreign policy. That is there, and this is maybe the like I'm putting on the tinfoil hat, right? Is there a way that the weapons actually work, but they're launching them to fail on purpose to psych us out because really they have the capability. And Bill was like, no, there's but, no way that that's but real. But it's so diabolical. But this is the thing. And so I guess, again, thinking of Kim Jong-un as a non-rational actor, yeah. like the little man baby with the haircut, waving, killing his brother mm-hmm. or his half-brother, all the things, like, it would, I, I guess, thinking about that, it, I wouldn't put it past him and yeah. his advisors to stage all of this so that we feel comfortable and we kind of can have strategic patience, and we can poke and prod a little, and then boom, Japan gets hit. Yeah. And Bill was like, "No." Yeah. I, I mean, I, and that's fair, right? But the fact that I'm even thinking about that, I just have to put it out. There. Well, we live in conspiracy theory land. We do, and I don't typically day. think of myself as one of those people. But I think yeah. that, that <laughs> since 2016, I've become. When did you start listening to Alex Jones? <laughs> God, never. I think the other <laughs> the other danger, like, is in it. The, the one danger is like sort of assuming that Kim Jong Un is you know, uh, you know like we talked about the little the little man who can't accomplish anything. I think assuming that he's irrational also is a danger. Like I like I he's it it might seem irrational to us, but he's you know got command of a country and like the, right. you have to like you know you have to assume that he's acting rationally. He's doing this in order to secure his power at home or to get concessions internationally or something. Like, there's some reason why he's doing this. Right. Well, most of the time, it's been concessions internationally. That's been the name of the game. Because he can't feed his own people, and there's no economy whatsoever (laughs) at all. None economy. So as as we think about rationality, can we speak or talk for a little bit just about him? Have you seen him lately? He's hilarious. He's, so, he's his own caricature. Yeah, he is. He's the, the reports are he's put on at least 100 pounds. Mm. So if you see him walking now, well, he drinks yeah. constantly. He drinks, right? he smokes, he binge eat it, eats. So, you know, eat eats, eats. <laughs> when you see him walk, he looks like an old man. Yeah. Do you know how old he is? Is he what, his 30s, he's like 40s? He's 33. Yeah. yeah, so he's younger than me. Uh, and he looks terribly old, and his haircut is awful. It's hilarious. So I think they call it in because they can only choose from like three or four haircuts. Fifteen. That, it's up to fifteen. 15 oh, choice. Yes. yes. And it's called like the success haircut. Oh or my god! And, but the, the, the branding other... of that is hilarious. <laughs> but the thing is, so of the fifteen approved marketing haircuts, yes. his is not one of them. So his is like only for him, right? It's only the Kim Jong Un, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then everybody else can get fifteen cuts. Sure. Um, how much variation is it? Like the length of the buzz? Is that how much I think, variation? There I is? mean, his is like a throwback to like the nineteen eighties, like where you shave it up on the side mm-hmm. and it's, it's real hairy on top. top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, As a chronically indecisive person, I'm not opposed to someone limiting my choices. <laughs> <laughs> These are the 15 I can choose from. Let's do it. That's the beauty of a totalitarian system. You get 15 haircuts. That is it. That's right. (laughs) But you can't have mine. And it's probably the same haircuts for men and women, right? There's no, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess the cheese stands alone on this one. But, um, yeah. Is he the cheese? I'm the cheese. Oh, you're the cheese. <laughs> I'm the cheese. I guess he could be the cheese, too. <laughs> Two cheese together. Cheeses stand yeah, alone yeah. together. I see where you went with the cheese, Jensen. Thanks. Um, I, 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 
I think there's a a a, a, a what's the best word? It's it's they're they're probing mm-hmm. right now because we haven't really done that in so long. Yeah, pretty much the past you think eight the, years. The US, more. U.S. I think probing. the U.S. is yeah. is probing to see what their capabilities are, and every time they have one of those parades, we always notice that. Yeah. There's more and more of those weapons that are just non-functional or non-existent. And we know they have nuclear weapons. They clearly don't have a delivery system. Yeah. So I think it's as shitty and American as it sounds, sometimes you got to see how far they're going to go with it. Well, and I, as a, a person who studies the international system, I'm, I'm kind of ex- I'm fascinated and terrified at the same yeah, time. Don't use the word excited. No, well, because, you know, it's the poking the bear, right? I'm, I'm curious to see what the bear is going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And it could be that the bear who hasn't been, wasn't poked during the Obama administration, wasn't poked during the George W. Bush or the Clinton or the H.W. Right. Bush, right. this is the first time the bear has been poked. Right. And maybe the bear says, I don't like being poked, right? right? Especially you by know, this particular administration. Yeah. Right. I mean, so Phil, if you poke the bear, it might turn out well. Maybe you guys it's could be possible. friends. Yeah, it's you possible. Should, yeah. You should try this in New Hampshire and see. <laughs> Give right. them a hobby beer and see if they like All it. Right. I'll report back next week on the bear poking. <laughs> With scratches all so over let, your face. So let's kind of flip that. I mean, just based on what you're saying here, let's flip this and talk about it not from the North Korea side, but from the U.S. side. Yeah. So let's talk about sort of the Trump no. administration approach and, and sort of their outlook on things. I, so last week, um, before I got cut off, I, at one point we were talking about the Trump doctrine and whether there was a Trump doctrine. Oh, yeah. And, and I was trying to argue that... Uh, <laughs> that that oftentimes you can't you can't see a president's doctrine until they've been in office for a while, right? So yeah. it takes like they have to be thrown into some situations. We didn't know what the Bush doctrine was until after September 11th, right. and it sort of emerges. Bill, in the middle of my, I got cut off, and Bill like took my conclusion in the exact opposite direction. <laughs> right. was, we were talking after the podcast, and he said I could hear you, and I was yelling like, "No, no, that's not what I was saying." <laughs> Maybe you guys aren't as in sync as you think right. you are. So my point is that it's possible that like a lot of this stuff, you know, Trump's campaign promises aren't necessarily lining up with the, what he's doing in foreign policy. But maybe it's, you know, in six months, a year in, we'll start to see patterns that emerge to his worldview that, that just aren't apparent. Right. right. Like when he runs a business, you don't know what his foreign policy worldview is. And, and that yeah. might emerge. Having said that, my theory this week that I, I keep coming back to is that at, at this point, I. Um, Trump's foreign policy, to me, is the foreign policy of a man who has never suffered consequences in his life. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a, he's a man who, bad things have happened in his life. He has companies go bankrupt, or he has lawsuits, or whatever, but they're bumps in the road, right? And and they're always made right, like some other financier comes along. His like Russia, a what? Sorry. Yeah, like, he, in the long run, everything, you know, he everything's okay. And, and, you know, things, life has gone smoothly for him. And I, I sort of see him approaching the world that way, right? If if no matter what you do, even when you fail, it turns out okay, right? It turns out pretty good, in fact. Then the idea of, like, maybe taking some risks or doing something that seems, you know, illogical or dumb with North Korea, you just do it, right? Because what, what could possibly be. go wrong? Mm-hmm. Am I being unfair? I mean, is that... No, I think that I think that makes sense, and I've been thinking about this as well, particularly this week, with this whole America First. You know that this whole campaign was we're going to look inward, we're going to focus inward, we're going to do what's good for us, and we're going to kind of like fuck it to the rest of the world. And I know we talked, we said we we're going to talk about kind of this sort of flip floppiness, but in some ways, what I 
thinking about like the hyper masculinity of the mother of all bombs and flexing all the military muscles yeah. and all of this it's his way of saying America first is not just America first we're going to look inward and take care of ourselves but we're also going to show the rest of the world that we are at the top and there's all these ways I can show this I can show it by dropping bombs I can show it by prodding the bear I can show it by talking tough to Russia whatever it is that America first means this blind patriotic imperial ethnocentric very throwbacky america is amazing awesome superpower so screw the rest of you and so it's not necessarily flip-floppy that we're prodding the bear if we think about it in that way especially to phil's point that if he doesn't think there's going to be significant consequences to that and he doesn't think that he's flip-flopping on what he said during the campaign mm -hmm. then why not I still wonder whether that gives him too much intentionality, right? That assumes that he's thinking about all of this, and I stand in my theory yeah, that, that he, right, he though, doesn't, right? Yeah, right? He doesn't. Uh, the fourth you know, he probably thinks, let's look tough with North Korea. Uh, the mother of all bombs, I don't know if he even knew about that. And I wonder whether he found out about that afterwards, and then it looks like nice swaggering. So it's, it's they, possible. They asked him if he approved it. Right, and he, he, he refused to comment. He chose, he said no comment. Probably because his answer was no, because you know he would take credit for it, right? Like, that was my idea. I totally wanted to do this. Don't you think he would take credit for it? Big bomb, me like. <laughs> right. Makes up for tiny hands. 97 militants, right? 94, 97, 94, 97. Like mm -hmm. and, and, it was, civilian and it was yes. $16 million. That's how much the bomb cost. America. But yeah. Yes. But again, America first. Like, this is the thing, right? If yes. nothing else, the mother of all bombs yeah. is that, like, so put it on a flag, statement. put it on a right. beer bottle, a Budweiser, I'm sure, with well, the pickup truck and, like, call it a day. One of the Trump, was it Donald or Eric? One of the Trump kids, sons, tweeted about, yeah, about yeah. the Moab and had American flags and, you know, Campaign was, promise, ISIS <laughs> sort of thing. Within yeah. 30 days, defeat ISIS. But wait, if, wait. if there was a lot of misspelling, it was probably Eric. Because uh, he, he had a bad week. <laughs> Eric Trump. Oh, God. <laughs> they take it away his Twitter privileges. Yeah. So you're a dumb son of a bitch. Your argument about, like, you don't want to assume intentionality, that, that goes with my with my theory of, like, just a man who's never had con Like, he right. just wins it, right? Yeah. He just does, does what he feels it. like, and that's always worked out for him in the past. <clears throat> yeah, uh, absolutely. And we will see with North Korea whether that's a good or bad strategy. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see whether a little bit of swaggering causes North Korea to step back. Now, their initial reaction was... We're going to test missiles every week, every month, every year. Until one works. Yeah. And, and and maybe if Trump comes back and says, all right, you know, let's let's go, then I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think that there's a couple of points on that. One is uh, like whether you can call it a strategy, right? Like, is this like, is this actually like a cohesive strategy or is this just him, you know, acting? And it yes. doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter. No. Right. The other question is that, uh, I, so I don't, I mean, this is... I, I did you, any of you see the story that there were apparently there were uh, some argument or some belief that we might have hacked the North Korean missile? Bill and I were talking about this yes. yesterday. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it's awesome. <laughs> awesome. America again. So, yeah, absolutely. So this goes back to the Obama administration, and there was apparently there oh, was. Oh sure. Yeah. Any success that Trump gets, you're credit <laughs> right. Obama. And right. Like is barfing. <laughs> so this so is sure. right. <laughs> just just like just like Iran, there was an attempt uh, to undermine it. We don't know whether it was human intelligence, whether it's technology, whether you know whether it's Stutniks or something like that. But these missiles, which are failing at an 88 percent rate. Mm -hmm. Are, are not supposed to do that, right? They're, they're supposed to be much more successful. Sure. Uh, they had, so they something had been happened. More success, 
they had been more successful in the past, right? Yes. Uh, and so apparently Kim Jong Un is now like looking internally to see what's going on. I think so we're yeah, going to die. Right. Obama started this, but Trump has accelerated that. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't be surprising. To, to ultimately find out that yes, the United States is causing a ruckus in the in the missile systems, which Sounds is smart. Me. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the easiest battle you can for the fight. for the right. missiles. Assuming you know when it's going to launch. Sure. If you can poke the bear without the bear knowing, that's right. That's, right. That's right. He's going to yeah. kill his own little bears. Yeah. yeah, but here's the other thing, though. So where we've been successful is with the missiles, mm-hmm. not with the nuclear development. So the the mm-hmm. the nuclear development is done like in these like underground caves and mountain things, which we haven't been able to get access to. So that's been progressing, even though the missile systems have not at the same rate. Right. I, here we have a big bomb that takes care of caves. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> do we have any of them left? How many do we have in our? Oh, geez, they're making more right Let's now. See, right, that's with sixteen million dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's sixteen million. We got we got a lot of that's those. Chump, that's yeah. Chump pocket of your jeans. Right. Right there. Okay, one other thing about Kim Jong Un before we maybe move on, but. I was reading about him and his haircut and all this other stuff about him as an individual. And so apparently in China, they mock him all the time. And his nickname is Kim Fatty the Third. Oh! <laughs> and so it got to be such a well-used and searched term on the Chinese Google that North Korea reached out to China to say, please block Kim Fatty the Third as a Google search. And China said... Okay. I kind of want to Google this. Can I, I Google know you. Oh, you can. I'm Google it in the United right States, you can Google it. I'm a lot Google shows right up. Now. Uh, there's it. a lot of pictures of him eating things. If you Google Kim Patty the Third, so <laughs> that's perfect. Isn't that great? Oh, that's um, awesome. Wow, even the Chinese can't stand him at this point. Well, and and you do wonder whether the stress. So all the yeah. binge eating, the binge smoking, the binge drinking, uh, is that getting to him? You know, worrying. And apparently, he's he's frightened about his own assassination. He's killed so many people internally. Does yes. he eat beautiful pieces of chocolate cake? Does he? Oh, it's, it's like, beautiful. It, so this is the thing. In this whole conversation about King John un all I can think about is he and Donald Trump are the same person. Yeah. <laughs> right? No consequences. Inherited a lot of the success. Mm-hmm. Like, ridiculous haircuts. Yeah. Caricatures of themselves. No, it's... Not thinking about maybe long-term consequences. Wants some kind of blind obedience. Yep. And wants to take credit for all the things. <clears throat> maybe that's why they have a, they're having a pissing contest. They are the same person. Neither of them could finish a 100-yard dash. Um... <laughs> they could finish oh, 100 to be, to be fair, Bill, neither could I. <laughs> <laughs> You have a perfectly fine haircut, Phil. That is what sets you apart from everybody. That's how they should settle. They both need to get in like some tracksuit and race. Yeah, man. That would be one of the I like would pay oh. to watch it. And both of them probably would think, like, we could make some serious cash. You know, right. <laughs> they could have, yes. Big 80s tracksuit with mm-hmm. a flag on it. Mm-hmm. Oh my Great. god, yes. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Um, the hell did we have after? Okay, so we were so we were we started with North Korea, and then we were going to talk about the either the evolution. So this last week, there's been a major shift in Trump's policies, and whether we're talking about so you know NATO used to be obsolete. He, this week he came out and said NATO is no longer obsolete. Uh, Syria didn't want to bomb Syria. Now being pulled into Syria, China was a currency manipulator. He came out this week and said no, that's not the case. Uh, Putin was his friend. Now there, there were a number of major shifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, you know, the Fed chair now is going to stay. Um, the Export Import Bank is now uh, now. Just, that's hey, enough. That's enough right there. Explain the Export Import Bank. It deals with exports and imports. 
Are you an importer or an exporter? Exporter, right. That's great, Seinfeld. Uh, and, but apparently, the funny thing was, Trump was really against the export-import bank during the campaign, and now he's around. And then and you can also think about Steve Bannon was, you know, he was President Bannon, and now he's just a guy who works for me. I mean, there, there, was, there was a major shift. Yes. And I guess the question is, what are we to make of this? Is, is Trump learning? Mm-hmm. You know, is he going to school, and, and is he evolving and maturing? Or what are we to make of all of this this new new position? Talk about him like he's fucking Skynet. What? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> the the I just keep thinking I forgot what comedian it was. It's when the president gets elected, they take him into the basement of the White House and they show him the files from Area Fifty One, <laughs> and then they show him the other angle from this <laughs> the uh, Zapruder film. And they go, any questions? Yeah. <laughs> this is all you need to know. This is all you need to know. Right. And then yeah, he's yeah. Um, I I. It's, he has to be learned. I, I mean, he has so many knowledgeable yeah. people around him, regardless of what your personal opinions are on, yeah. on the people that are around him. Those are people that have been a part of this structure and know how to use it, manipulate it to their advantage or yeah. the advantage of the administration um, as much as is humanly possible. If he, if we didn't see this kind of change, I would be significantly more concerned than I am right now. Yeah. Felipe. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I think, so, I mean, the the evolution that's occurring, I mean, it could be this deep philosophical evolution and that he's rethinking his worldview. I think what's Wrong. really happening... <laughs> <laughs> what's happening is that he likes to be liked, right? Like, he's he's tried all these things. He's, he's applied the Steve Bannon approach, and right. it's failed, right? It, yep. He hasn't gotten through the healthcare or the the um, uh, the Muslim ban or any of these other things. His approval ratings are at historic lows, and it starts to make, like, if, you know, if I'm him, I <laughs> even if it's not that I'm actually changing my worldview on things, I'm going to start shifting, you know, maybe looking a little more moderate, maybe trying to appear a little more sane. And, yeah, I, I, I welcome it, right? Like, I'm not necessarily uh, tremendously encouraged, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm... I'm somewhat encouraged, right? This is better than what we were doing. So is he losing more than he's gaining with this? Is he losing more of his base than he's gaining with moderates? That's a great question. Cause the, that is a good question. Yeah, he, he campaigned. Comment. Comment, <laughs> he, comment. He campaigned on this anti-establishment dynamic. It was it was the core of who he is. Mm-hmm. And now he's moderating. Mm-hmm. I think... Go ahead. No, it's... No, go ahead, Phil. I'm sorry. So I, my, I, mean, I was super th- interrupty last time as I texted you all to apologize. So I'm trying to moderate my interruption. But now we're talking American politics. I know, so I was just like shopping and waiting. No, let me throw, let me say, uh, um, I don't even remember what I was going to say now. Damn oh, it. shit. <laughs> what were you, what did you say, Bill? What were we talking about? No, I forgot. <laughs> Well, okay. Losing the so be losing right, anti-establishment. anti-establishment. So is yeah. skating with moderates. I, I, okay. I'm cutting you off now. I'm interrupting. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I think for a normal poli- or like a, a more traditional president, that, that this might make sense, in that moderating your views might, you know, you're gonna you're gonna lose some of the extreme base, but you're gonna pick up this broader group of people. But I kind of wonder if he's if he has gone so extreme up to this point, if he's fairly irredeemable um if if like there's a there's a big chunk of people in america that no matter what he did at this point he would have a hard unless he like really major swung in the other direction 
he's going to have a hard time winning people over who have who have sort of chalked his presidency up as a failure at this point. Does that make sense? It's not just mm-hmm. that he's like, you know, like, I don't really like it, but, but you know, a, a slight change and I can get on board. He's been so extreme that people are really polarized on him in a way that I don't know that he can be redeemed in right. their mind. So here's the yeah. counterpoint to that. Yeah. Less than three months. Yeah, into a, less than At least days. a four-year yeah. term. Yeah. Yeah. But that's fucking, that's just months. dumb, if that's what people but, are thinking, all right? Well, less than three months in, but you have to remember that the, the freaking campaign was a year and a half prior to that. So yeah. people have been, like, Exposed. thinking Donald Trump and politics and hearing all of this Muslim ban and, and you know, I, all the, you know, the, the misogynistic stuff and all of this other stuff. They sure. Around for two years. So sure. He's been in office for three years, but they've been... They've been learning about him as a candidate for longer than that. Mm-hmm. So what I would say, there was a piece that came out in Monkey Cage this week because the National Election Study finally came out from 2016. And so being able to assess kind of some of the patterns of what was going on. And we've been talking so much about how authoritarianism was on the rise with the voters. And that was what sort of sparked Trump to win. And what the data suggests is that it's not authoritarianism because those have been pretty stable over time, at least since 2000. But really it's racism like racism is the thing like the higher people got on the symbolic racism scale so the statistic the statistic i can remember is jumping from the 50th to the 75th percentile on the symbolic racism scale increased your chances of voting for trump by 20 percent can you define the symbolic racism scale yes so there are questions about do you (laughs) (laughs) you want to talk about you know what you get american politics on you're gonna get a discussion All right. So things about like have like are blacks better off than they were before? Have they gotten more or less than they deserve? Mm-hmm. Do Jews, Catholics, and and Irish you know still have it tough? Kind of like general questions that you can go back to the nineteen forties and ask these questions. I can't so, find good pasta anywhere. It's really yeah. difficult, right? It's very difficult. So <laughs> the reason I bring this up to Phil's point is that if with this perceived flip flopping, right now I'm going to be establishment. I'm not going to be so extreme. Mm-hmm. The people that were more likely to vote for him either didn't care about some of that stuff or are so invested in the rhetoric and what he reflected and who they were, they will find a way to justify whatever changes he makes three months, three years down the line. Because it is so deeply ingrained in the voter psyche that, like Phil says, the people that hate him hate him, the people that love him love him, those in between that maybe he loses by becoming more establishment, because of partisanship, which is aside from it, I would imagine are still going to support him because they will rationalize whatever sure. it is that he is doing that may sound different. Oh, he's learning. He knows better now. He has more information. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be so quick to judge China. We shouldn't be so quick to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. We put our faith in him because there still is a yeah. level of authoritarianism that exists in these voters. <clears throat> so I think that might be part of it. What? Go no, ahead. go ahead. Well, you know, the other thing is to think about him at his core, it's economic nationalism. Yes. And it's immigration. Those are the two things. If we go way back into Trump, yes. those are his it's, core issues. It's the foundation. And some of what he's flipped on, like NATO, Syria, China, Putin, those are, while while important, are less, they get less to who he is as a person. Exactly. And and we have not seen, economic nationalism is still there. You know, the, the idea of like America first economically, cutting yeah. off, apparently cut off milk to... Picking a fight with Canada over right. milk right now. Yep. Right. Oh, so, yeah. so that's still there. The immigration stuff is still there. Yes. The wall is still there. Yeah. So so to that group, and I think to who Trump is, he probably feels like as long as I hold on to the economic nationalism right. and this, this anti-immigration. He's got this, some room. Right. He still gets that core mm-hmm. of who he is. And to be honest, I don't think he thinks about some of those other, uh, other issues 
in ways that he thinks about immigration and ec- economics. Which is what yeah. got him elected in the yeah, first place. Right. And we have, so tax taxes are coming soon. Apparently a tax yeah. proposal is coming soon. So we'll see a little bit of this. Uh, speaking to the economic nationalism. Yeah. And, you know, he's not talking about expanding trade and these kinds of things. Although yeah. now with his softer stance on China, I'm not sure what that might look like in the future. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think what I think though what you said is right is at the at the core of who he is and how he ran, he is no different. And these flip flops or perceived flip flops that he's making don't really speak to those voters that were felt so inspired by him. Okay, so then the question that I have and for yes. you specifically. Oh God, pressure. <laughs> what, Where's I mean, my other beer? Yeah. <laughs> what percentage of I, I mean, at this point, we know that he did not win the popular vote. No. By a lot. Like, a lot. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. yeah. A significant amount. <laughs> three million people yes. is a all lot right. of people. All right. When you compare three million With people conventional to the... Math. Yes. <laughs> like the real that to the entire population of the United States and the percentage that came out to actually vote for him. Right. What percentage do you think fall into that category of people that are just blindly following because of some authoritarian, racist kind of underpants. <laughs> the deplorables. Right. The, yeah. what, how big is the basket? Yeah, the yeah. real deplorables. Um, yeah. So, that's a really good question, I and I know. usually say that when I'm trying to stall for an answer, <laughs> but it, I think it really is a very good question. And I would, so, okay, here I go with data. Like, I have not looked at the National Election Study yet, but I would like to look at it now that I know it's out to look at some of these things in terms of voting patterns. Um, anecdotally, there's this group of people that had consistently voted for Obama in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, who now felt abandoned by him and the party, and so they've moved over to Trump for reasons like economic nationalism. Mm-hmm. Whether that persists into the next election, mm-hmm. the right answer, although it feels like I'm punting, is it's way too early to see what that looks like. And mm-hmm. the reason I say this is because the midterms are going to tell us a lot. Okay. We have decreased turnout in the midterm always and those who turn out are much more ideological uh-huh. and are older and are more white and are wealthier uh-huh. which tends to build well for republicans but also who is in the white house matters right so i feel like it's a little too early to talk about the size of the basket mm-hmm. until we see what happens in the midterm okay and really trump has about a year mm-hmm. until we're like thick into the midterm cycle to do stuff that's going to really affect the midterm election. I mean, okay. we've got the Georgia yeah. special election today. We have, wait, no. Yeah. Yeah, today. The Kansas one was last week. So, again, not punting. I think it's the right answer, no, but it no, probably no. feels like no, I'm not, no, no, I'm not. My, I, the only add-on that I have to that yeah. is, what about the racist angle? Oh, we well, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Well, I think some of it's going to depend on what happens with the immigration ban. Okay. We know that there's been some change. He wrote an executive, signed an executive order about the high-skilled worker visas today, which, of course, they're not the problem. Mm. It's all the other people that are a problem, not the high-skilled, you know, people of color, but it's everybody mm-hmm. else. Um, sorry, Phil, go ahead. There were a lot of, I mean, on that, on, along those lines, the far right has been really unhappy. Like, so we were talking right. about how this... Some oh of God. the flip flops that Trump has been doing don't necessarily upset his like core base, but some of the, like the far right were really pissed about sure. us bombing Syria yeah. and making some of these changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that matters. I mean, that doesn't make the, that they're not going to like go. Oh, I think it matters Trump, in the sense that Clinton, it right? caused yeah. him to get rid of Steve Bannon and a lot of well, yeah, really the, important situations. The all right voters are a very small percentage compared to the rest of the mm-hmm. Republicans. And yeah. so they can scream and yell all they want, but at the end of the day, they're not voting for a Democrat. Right. They're not. 
So he has more leeway with them than he has with more moderate establishment Republicans, which might be why we see some of the pivot yeah. more towards Kushner, more towards Priebus, and away from Bannon. It will be it will be telling. In khakis. I think what happens with Bannon is really telling because mm-hmm. Trump. I think Phil, Phil, you're right in the sense that there's a shift away from that anti-establishment alt-right group. But does does he get rid of Bannon? Mm-hmm. Or does he keep him at the margins? Yes. And does he get yeah, right? Does yes. he let, let Bannon do what Bannon wants to do in yes. terms of immigration and some other issues, but not for him? And Bannon's upset about some yeah, of the. I don't know. Syria. Bannon would would be up for that. He's mad, right? I Bannon, think he was, Bannon but is he's cranky. also a strategic actor, and he's not going to like pitch a big fit and like leave the Trump administration. He Maybe. knows where his bread is buttered, right? Like I don't see I. He I could, don't see it. Couldn't he go back to Breitbart and oh, just start throwing easily. bombs there? Yes. I mean, it's a good but question. That's a, okay, so it depends on how another. rational he is. Is yeah. he a rational actor in a way that would suggest that he wants to see the Republicans maintain majority in Congress in the midterms and he wants to see Trump reelected? And if he does, then he's not going to go throw bombs from Breitbart. I don't think he's that rational. And, and maybe, really maybe, sort of, maybe we're not. not. But that's a good question. You're right. I don't know. Or does he wait, right, wait till the next presidential election and then you know then push back that's uh, yeah I don't know maybe he bides his time at the margins and does things more covertly Mm -hmm. yeah and does what Bannon does and has as how I love how SNL represents him as the Grim Reaper right Right. like he does all the devilish things (laughs) yeah and and does it all yeah and the Kushner Bannon like divide right now was fantastic apparently Bannon called him a democrat right that was his that was his attack dare you (laughs) in this room it's this strange fight for Bannon to pick, right? You can't, he's not going to win against Trump's son-in-law, right? Like, as Trump, not if Ivanka has anything yeah, to say about it. Trump, Ivanka's family husband. is big for Trump. Like, Trump family and loyalty are, like, the yeah. thing for ne- him. Never go against the family. Never, uh, which, is, which is why we thought Bannon would persist, because I, I could say for myself, at least, I did not see Kushner being elevated to this position. He's, like, mm-hmm. running the Middle East, basically. Yeah, yeah, and Canada. And ca- Right, and finding <laughs> experts right. on Amazon. Right. So he's right. wholly right. unprepared and admits it. And streamlining the government. Yeah. Right. That too. There's that. So I don't know. I, I did not foresee this elevation of Kushner. And maybe this is something that, that Ivanka jockeyed for. Because, I, again, going back to SNL, the, the skit this week was like, Kushner never speaks. I have never heard his voice. Has anyone ever heard him speak? I've never heard him either. So, like, what's he doing? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's like the cake. Yes. Yeah. Melodic it's and smooth sweet. And, and, yes. Like everything, chocolate. Everything you want in a, a voice. <laughs> it's just, oh, it is. It's just. It's become so interesting to see where um, all the players, right? So I don't. I don't know that I thought of Kushner as a strategic actor, no. but now that he's been elevated, how is either. this going no. to play out? And is Ivanka <clears throat> kind of behind the scenes, sort of pushing this? What does that do to Bannon? Previous is pretty much nowhere, yeah. but he's looking at the midterms and sort of working ledge affairs and kind of mm-hmm. thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. Which is what he should be doing. That's exactly what he was put in the in place to do in the first place. Yeah. Go ahead, Phil. I, I was going to change subjects a little bit, so if you have something on well, that, no, today on American politics, yeah, otherwise I have nothing no, it's, to talk it's about. It's American politics. Okay, so good. Then go. What, one more thing, you know, to, to kind of circle back to this idea of his Trump learning. I'm, I'm not convinced he is. I think he's strategic, like Phil said. I think he realizes that he needs to to shift. But we also need to remember, like, there's been a number of articles this week, you know, talking about his evolution as a, you know, they were they were even talking about philosophy that he's thinking about this in broader terms. He doesn't and, know. No, I mean this is still the week that you know he had a what a ten minute conversation with the president of China and decided like North Korea is way more complicated, and it also was revealed he's this. Gotta stop saying shit. I know, right? Just... It was that. It was healthcare. It also broke this week that 
if we go all the way back to his claim that Obama was wiretapping him, mm-hmm. it was after he had made that tweet that he went to somebody in the administration and said, explain to me how these wiretaps really work. <laughs> you know, that's just, he's still an idiot, right? Um, so I, I think he is a strategic idiot who can sense... <laughs> Where the the country is, maybe where the public is, but he's not he's not thinking about this at a broader level. No, I, I think Phil's right. I, I think he's no, worried no, about no, 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 no. Well, I know, I know. We don't say this very often, right. but Nick no. never says that. <laughs> no, I, I think he's sincerely worried about what people think about him, and he wants people to like him. And you know, we don't have to necessarily rely on polls every time to do this. Now, you just turn on Fox News or CNN. He's not going to turn on MSNBC. Um, <laughs> no, probably not. Um, no, I, 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 I do think there's a strategic element to it, but yeah. I, it, I, it's, there's, there is definitely a superficiality about it. And, and that shift means the adults, or at least what I would call the adults, mm-hmm. the, the, the McMasters and all of them, right. the Mattises are winning and the Bannonites, the bomb throwers, are losing. At least, like you said, we're, we're what, 100 days in? Not even. Not even. So, yeah. so it's early. We, we need to be careful not to pro- prognosticate. Prognosticate. Yeah, too far ahead. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. But, but any sign that the adults are pulling ahead this early, is that's good, right? That's encouraging. I would yeah. say so. Well, and that's where the, the level of strategy comes into play. So I've been thinking about this. Um, Bill's going to start snoozing. There's mm. a political scientist oh, named I'm... James David Barber who wrote this book called Presidential Character and How to Foresee It. Bill's nodding. He knows mm-hmm. what so basically what Barber does is he studies presidents and ter- like goes all the way back to their childhood, tries to understand them in terms of psychology and personality patterns, puts them in these four categories based on how active they are in their job and what kind of joy they get out of it. And he, the categories are super fascinating. And I had done this with students earlier uh, in the year and like where do you think Trump falls kind of in these four mm-hmm. categories, right? So... They had all put him in this active negative category, which is like he's he's aggressive, he's driven, yeah. he's pathological, he's obsessive. Nixonian, Nixonian yes. Yes, yeah. Wilson, Nixon, Johnson, very much that way, right? Mm-hmm. But he's very active, right? Like he's engaged in the process. Yeah. And this is easy to say. We like watched this whole documentary about his childhood to understand his personality. Okay, fine. As we've seen him in office now, for me at least, he feels very much more like a passive positive those nodding mm. right like delegating <laughs> i want nothing to do with the details because i am malleable and i want to be loved and i'm easily manipulated and whatever you tell me is going to get me approval and is going to get me liked mm. i will do it and when you're grounded in nothing to begin with and yeah. all you're seeking mm. is a fulfillment and love to fill a void which was left by his father and his brother's death it all makes so much sense this superficial strategy is i will do whatever it takes to be loved and whoever gets me there gets my attention. And this is where Kushner and Priebus are. I can deep, take right? him. That's a mic drop moment. Bam! Bam! This is why you bring me on the podcast. Yes, yes. I learned so much there. He wants to be famous and play golf and eat cake. Like, he doesn't give a shit about hey, that. He's got a damn good job And he's succeeding. He is. Yeah. That's right. I mean, he doesn't, like... I, I, I think you're totally right. I think he doesn't he doesn't care. I mean, it, if you think about him as like the apprentice, right? Like he's yeah. like the face of it. He I'm sure with the apprentice he would show up for the you know the he to didn't put in a whole lot of work before and after he showed up for the filming and went home and played golf, right? And that's what he's doing with the presidency. Right. 
which is why who is in power around him matters, that's right? Exactly that's why right. it matters. That's exa- and that's why having these conversations, even 80-ish, 90 days in, to Nick's point, like, okay, we're 90 days into four years. Like, that's a fair point. But if this kind of malleability is going to create a situation where the people, like, the people in power are going to shift him this way, this way, this way, that matters. How often are we going to see that shifting and in what circumstances and, and what are the consequences of that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, I think that I think it's worth talking about this even though we're only 90 days into four years. Oh, yeah, it's definitely worth talking about. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's... It's hard to conceive of because this is such a a different situation than any any president before him, and we realistically, I mean, there's there's no precedent for this whatsoever. No, so, uh, I mean, 100%. and you know, I, I I think it's it's good to try and get a hold of that, but at some point, you just go, ah, God, let's just <laughs> what, ah, yes. let's just play it out, just just do it. Just, I'm gonna watch I'm gonna it. close my eyes for a few days, and maybe something will change by Hopefully then. Hopefully, we will be able to eat dinner in four days. Yeah, like, when you we think won't be dead. when you think about all of that as it relates to the North Korea issue. That's terrifying. Because when you think about moments of crisis in U.S. history, whether it's Cuban Missile Crisis, whatever it is, you at the end of the day, you want that president to be the one who realizes the buck stops there. They've mm-hmm. got to make the hard decisions. Right. And Kennedy had to go against his military in the Cuban Missile Crisis to say, no, we're not going to invade Cuba. And so will Trump have the same wherewithal to make that right decision? Mm-hmm. Or will he allow his, his uh, desire to be liked? Right to let him get pushed into something with North Korea or Syria, wherever it might be. And yes. and I saw somebody point out, this is why where the fact that Trump has surrounded himself with generals and no diplomats like comes into play because when options regarding North Korea or Syria or Afghanistan come up, he's gonna hear military options, right? And he's not gonna hear sort of counter options and hear what about this way, especially with Rex Tillerson who's asleep somewhere while <laughs> these options right, are being right. presented to him. Oh my God. I, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, who who has access to the president um, matters, right? Power and access are important. But I mean, if he, even if he has surrounded himself with generals, realistically, and like that's implying that they're only going to give him Military strategy and, and options like these or, are the or guys, aggressive actually. Right. Right. They can be very restrained, and these yeah. are the guys that have to know everything about the culture and the history yeah. and the yeah. geography and the tribal relations and things like that because they wouldn't be in those positions and be able to create those strategies, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that team, that information, the team around him seems to know that right. whether it's Mattis or McMaster. I mean, those guys. That's what they've done, right? right? And you get a sense that they have a more comprehensive understanding of what war means. Right. And that makes me feel good that those guys now have Trump's ear more so than Bannon, who, you know, who doesn't has never had any experience. I, I mean, that. honestly, in my personal opinion, I kind of trust that more than a diplomat that has minimal governmental experience mm. and just got placed in a position. Mm. What? You're gritting your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To insinuate that... Dip, that it, like, so... Yes, there are diplomats who are like friends or donors and get put into yes. but the vast majority of career diplomats are not like idiots who got no. there are people no, who no, have, no, no, who no. know incredibly deeply cultural and political nuances and yes. I while I don't have a problem with military people being around the president, I would certainly feel even better if along with those military people there were some people who thought first and foremost from a diplomatic frame 
again, not necessarily because I want the diplomats to win every time, but yeah. I think it's good to have those different viewpoints put on the table oh, yeah. and yeah. discuss. Well, That's and this, a fair this speaks to Trump's leadership style, whether he realizes he has it or not. So again, to go back to Barr, where he talks about the three parts of personality, character, worldview, and style, and like when Do these are put like a list of books. He's and like this and is shit you study the presidency, you study Barber, right? Yeah. Like this is the thing, right? And so one of the things he talks about is um, your style, right? So are you more likely to study and study alone? Mm. Are you more likely to engage with other people? Do you like to be in front of a crowd? Do you do better one on one? All of this is sort of developed as you get through your like post adolescent into your early adulthood years. And some of this also, when we talk about, particularly about someone like Nixon and Johnson, that they surrounded themselves with yes men. They wanted people, mm-hmm. uh, unlike unlike mm-hmm. Kennedy, who surrounded himself with, and, and Obama, like all the smartest people who, all of the things that would challenge him to make what's the more, like the most informed mm-hmm. decision. You know, like Nixon and Johnson didn't do all of that. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that right now, at least, Trump's kind of, MO based on his styles that he doesn't want to study, he doesn't want to learn, he doesn't want to read, he doesn't want to do there's engage golf, in the work. There's golf to be played. There's yeah. golf to be played, there's cake to be eaten, there's robes to be worn, there's all of those things. <laughs> all the robes. And so, right? And so what he does is then he defers to the group of people he's been told will give him the best information, even if it's narrow-minded information, especially sure. if it serves his purpose of being loved and having some kind of prestige. I mean, we we said this from day one. I, when he, the on inauguration day, we said he would delegate the majority That's of his right. responsibilities. He wants to nap under his desk like Reagan used to do. Right. I got, you're, you're making Trump sound appealing to me. I'm identifying with this desire to eat cake and play golf and, <laughs> and, and nap under your desk. Yeah. Me. Sounds what it means well, to be You American, should run for president. Man. I would totally vote for you. Well, this 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 iteration of Trump, this newer Trump, as opposed to the Bannon Trump, could be very appealing. Sure. And and moderately successful if the economy keeps kicking. Mm-hmm. And he is maybe slightly more active than Obama was, and some of those work out well. Yeah. Um, it, it could be a winning formula. I, I don't think Bannonites, I don't think that wins him the presidency again. Oh, no. for until sure. We nu- Absolutely not. Until we nuke North Korea and start a trade war with Canada. <laughs> 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 Wisconsin that's so good. and Canada start like right. swapping uh, yes. troops with each other and oh, they, can't, they can't engage. Oh, so, Phil, you wanted to bring something up a, a little a few minutes ago. So, but, but we should probably, should we talk beer? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're doing, yes. We're pretty far in here. Let's do it. Do you want to go? Yeah, you, Phil, you have the non-Milwaukee Brewing Company, so you go first. Yeah, so I, I'm the I'm the outlier here. So I, um, again, went down to Brewtopia, my local beer shop here in Keene, and um, had a, had some help picking some things out. The first beer I had was the Simmerdown Summer Session, which is from uh, Sebago Brewing Company in Gorham, Maine. It was great. Um, it was really good. It was, I, I don't even I, I am not a beer sophisticate, but I, I would describe it as sort of a lightish IPA. It was hoppy, but it was mm. kind of uh, on the lighter side, refreshy, refreshier. Yes. That works. Refreshier. <laughs> yeah. The second one I had um, was 603 Brewery Summertime Session Ale. Summertime or summertime? Summa time. Oh, okay. nice. Yes. Very DJ Jazzy in the first. Oh, it was a uh, yeah a light bodied session ale dry hop with citra. I liked it as well. Um, I find myself being drawn to something in between like an IPA and like just a kind of a classic lager lately, and they, those both kind of filled that spot. Like it's warmer, 
they're like refreshing, but they still got that hoppiness. Mm-hmm. I like both of them. They were really good. Mm. Real good. Real good. <laughs> All right, so we, uh, those of us in the Chicago area, we had three MKE, Milwaukee Brewing Company beers. Uh, we should probably, should we start with the uh, Hop start, Happy? Start at the top, yeah. Yeah, Hop Happy, which is a IPA. They put a pound and a half of citrus hops uh, per barrel. That just sounds wasteful. Yeah, oh, but it was. Did you eat all that? Yeah. Did you really? Uh, I liked it. it was, I liked it a lot, it, too. It was like your yeah. classic IPA, mm-hmm. like good flavor, drinkable. Not too heavy. No, it wasn't wasn't too heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that I like. That was a good beer. Yeah. And then, uh, Suzanne, you started with the citrus happy. I did. Um, okay. So I like the idea of a citrus. So again, any of you that have listened to me on the podcast before, I love a summer shandy. I love a hoe garden, a, you know, mm-hmm. anything that's citrusy and so forth. And so um, I actually expected if it was going to be hoppy-ish, which apparently this pack is, that I would yeah. like it. And I did, but it should be called citrus hoppy, mm. not citrus happy. Especially because my second one I'm having is the pull chain, which yeah. I actually prefer more. Interesting. Because I think it's less hoppy. The pull chain is, is but the a the citrus pale comes ale. through. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying the pull chain. So you like the pull chain better than the citrus happy. Which was mm-hmm. totally unexpected. Yeah. I agree with you. You this. do. I agree. Nice. Okay, so <laughs> I, nice I, I disagree. So. <laughs> it's all right to be wrong. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong. My, so my second one was a citrus happy, and I loved it. It was... There was almost like a grapefruit flavor that came through. I, I really like that. It was a really potent grapefruit but I, flavor. I can't have enough With grapefruit. With the hops. Yeah. yeah. Like for me, it was... It was a was... weird comment. Like, it was very... It yeah. was almost too citrusy for a, an IPA kind of thing. So you like the Not that it was bad. Yeah. Because we wanted them to sponsor us. Right, right. It was all grapes. <laughs> yes. But and you most, like... Bill, most senior citizens go for the grapefruit thing, right? That's right. So that it's... makes sense that you would like that. Because you can't read the label and you can't hear. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's good for your gout. Uh, which which Kim Jong Un also has. Who else has that? Yeah. My husband. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. All right. Because you know what makes it worse? Beer. Yeah. So uh, Nick, you had the pull chain as your third beer, right? Yeah. Which I don't know if it was because I had just had the citrus right beforehand. Yeah. It almost had like kind of a smooth chocolatey flavor to Ooh. it. It's much smoother. It was very. It I was agree. very good. I, I I liked it a lot. And it's yeah. It's not overly hoppy at all. They um, describe it as a few. Fusion of English and American pale ale styles, um, which would make sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm, a dick. I'm, a, I'm a fan. So my third beer was the Hop Freak, which is I a hate that. oh, it's a double IPA, Ooh. 8.7 uh, alcohol val- uh, by volume. That's why you can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> and I normally like Phil Barker. I'm not a fan of double IPAs, but this is good. Really? Yeah, it's nice. really good. And it might be that it's my third beer, but I'm enjoying it very much. <laughs> so, uh, If you don't enjoy your third beer, there's a bigger problem. So That's I, right. But I, let me just say quickly that I feel like one of these times I want, I think the podcast would be interesting if all of you drink like three beers first, then start, then drink three more. Oh, that oh. was my, that was the initial idea. And yeah. see where it goes. Yeah. I would, I would even pay to subscribe to listen to this. <laughs> I wouldn't be a part of it because six beers would have me on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they're craft beers. Or do but. a power hour during the podcast. We're on the college campus. It's fine. Yeah. So thank you, MKE Milwaukee Brewing Company. Some great beers. Uh, We would love uh, to work more with you. Was that same? Was that shameless? Yeah, that was uh, kind of shameless and a little desperate. Yeah. All right. That was. (laughs) And even the one who doesn't like hops liked it. So I would say that. Yeah. Sponsorship opportunities available. (laughs) Advertising. Oh, all right, Phil, you had an idea. 
Well, did we, so I, I don't. Were there other things that we wanted to talk about that were pressing? I've got a... none more important than what you wanted. To right. Oh, yeah. So cute. The bromance is strong on this podcast. The bromance is strong between you two. So I mean, this is sort of a, this is a question. I maybe this isn't. There's not a whole lot of discussion here, but it was something I was thinking of as we were talking about how, as Suzanne, you were talking about how racists like Trump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Let me just say, I well, didn't then. say that. The, the National I, Election Study said that. So pretty much everyone that sure, voted for Trump sure. was in the Klan or a Nazi. Yeah. Or a Nazi Klan. So, yeah. Phil, Phil, the, the hillbillies. <laughs> hillbillies, yeah. We lost them. So, so the long. thing that I was thinking about during that is that I like when I think about explaining support of Trump, the, the, the variable that like jumps out in my mind, and this is just in my imagination, I don't know if this is actually true or not, is partisanship, right? So we it seems like we live in a in a day and age in which more than anything else, partisanship explains stuff. Right? So Republicans language. like Trump, even, no matter how crappy Trump is, like there have been a number of things, yes. uh, you know, support of Putin, um, support for airstrikes in Syria. Yes. Like it's under Obama, like 20% of Republicans supported airstrikes in Syria, and now it's like 80%, yes. right? So partisanship explains a lot. And it's yes. not just Republicans, it's on the Democratic side as well. That's right. So my question is, when you have a president like Trump come along who drops to these sort of historic low levels of support, where he's in the you know low to mid 30s approval rating, there's a there's a core of people who, because of partisanship and other things, and because of you know values, they're they're not going to give up on him. But is there is there a point when you get this low? Do you start to shake up these notions of partisanship? Are there people who are Republicans who? Oh my God! Are you saying this is a positive thing? Like it's going to break up partisanship? Oh, Nick is on board. Like, like is partisanship so strong that people are going to like that they're sticking with their man no matter what? Or is it possible that he becomes so unpopular that people start to rethink these sort of party lines and party affiliations? No. <laughs> That's the answer to that last question. No, so uh, no. <laughs> nice try. Again, you ask a question about American partisanship, and you're going to get an answer from the only American politics person on the panel. So on the podcast, I so yes and no. I still stick with my answers, and part of the reason I say that is because we know that the way party has evolved over time, strictly since the 1950s and into the early 1960s, is that it very very much is a psychological attachment. It's a social reference group, right? I often talk about it like your favorite sports team. So especially in Chicago, I talk about you're either a Bears fan or a Packers fan. And all you want to do if you're a Bears fan is pummel the Packers twice a year and vice versa. It never happens, yeah. And as a Browns fan, we talk about the Steelers and how sad it is being a Browns fan, whatever. But it runs through your blood. It it helps you identify who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And if I know that I'm a Democrat, and I am as if the the listeners didn't already know, and I meet someone and I know they're a Democrat, I automatically feel a kinship with this person. I expect good of this person. I like this person. I meet a person who's a Republican. I don't know them. I automatically assume things about them. I don't like them. I want nothing to do with them. Regardless of, so think, again, talking about this in terms of Trump's approval ratings and and how this works with reestablishing partisanship. The only thing that I could see changing is just not voting, right? Mm. Not changing to another party or another candidate and voting for a Democrat. Or It's really just like, I'm not going to vote this time. Because persuasion is super easy. But mobilization is really tough. And it's a harder sell to mobilize voters, even those who are Republicans that voted for him, if they're in those of the 30% or the 70% that don't approve, to get them out at the midterms and then when he runs for re-election in 2020. But I mean, mobilization was a huge aspect of 
what got the him there. Previous election, right? That's so, right. I mean, but he had your. It's a fair point. It depends on what his. I approval, know. It, this is why you're bringing me up. Right? That's right. And if if the approval ratings continue to stay or drop, and again, the midterms are going to tell us a lot about sort of the state of the party and him as the leader of the mm-hmm. party, opposed as opposed to Paul Ryan. Um, we may get a clearer sense after the midterms of because the midterm voters are so different from the general election voters, whether they stay or whether they go to the polls or they stay home. So you've 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 poo pooed on my first suggestion that maybe <laughs> this good thing would happen. Uh, so Sorry. Is there any chance then that that this low like a low popularity? leads to a reevaluation of what it means to be a Republican. So it doesn't necessarily mean that people change parties, but maybe the party itself reconsiders what it means to be Republican. So, yes. And there's been a lot written in the past week and a half about how Trump has now is now at the forefront of redefining what it means to be a Republican for voters who voted for him. So they're reconsidering their own partisanship and what it means to be a Republican because they voted for him, and he is now the leader of the party. And in some ways, this is not dissimilar to what happened with the Democrats, because Bernie Sanders staying in the race for so long, as frustrated as some people were because it's Hillary's time, and she should get it, and so on and so forth, it really did force the party and force Clinton as a candidate to think, like, what does it mean to be a Democrat? And now with the agenda that the DNC has established, or the platform, and the agenda that the the Democrats in Congress have established, there are Bernie-like progressive parts. So there is a reconsideration that can happen. And I, I, again, I don't know how this plays out in terms of electoral consequences because, of course, electoral alliances build legislative alliances. Right. So I don't know how this plays out, but it is, it is, so yes to that question. Well, okay, so, 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 wait, wait, Phil, don't, Phil, you don't had talk three, three quest, two questions, Phil. Shut, shut up, Bill. <laughs> fight, fight, fight. <laughs> So my question then is, and this could be any of you. This doesn't have yeah, to just I'll be. Stop now. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen you do that before. Is, is Trump, like, because the, the discussion I've seen is the extent to which Trump is remaking the Republican Party in a Trumpian image, right? Mm-hmm. But what I want to see is the remaking of the Republican Party in, like, an Eisenhower type image, right? Like, more of sort of an old school kind of traditional Republican, like, you know, I, I don't, anyway. But he wasn't overly um, racist. Do what? Eisenhower was like trying to talk about desegregating the military and like right. doing stuff for all the color, the people of color, uh, right? So my question is, like, what? Like, just is Trump is Trump more likely to push the Republican Party more to the Trumpian direction? I don't even know what that is. I don't know if that's further right. It's further right in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, or is that is it more likely that Trump, through his policies, will create some level of backlash within the Republican Party? That will push things back towards a more McCain or more moderate type of Republican Party. Like, what's the outcome of four years of Trump? Where does the Republican Party end up? I guess. Well, I mean, at this point, if you go, if you continue to go in the Trumpian direction, that's the end result of that is. I don't know if I want to go as far as civil war, but we'll, we'll say it's somewhere down that line. But, does but it, de- it depends on what Trump wins, right? I mean, right. Which Trump? Well, all right. Yeah. So yeah. my 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 point in this yeah. is. Like, as we see him evolve, I would find it shocking if it didn't turn out to be... There, there's a balance. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to balance out again. Like, I, I don't see it... Yeah. 
complete fundamentally changing the understanding of Republicans and and Democrats right. and the two party structure and right. like he's he's not that powerful of a force as we and then again it's it's less than a hundred days in and we already right. see a shift towards a more moderate kind of understanding of governmental structure and well moderate in terms of social conservatism sure for sure which. In turn, would mean that just put your, put your hand up. Oh, 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 yeah. I, I mean, any sort of moderate policy, and he's made a lot of moderate moves in the past week or two. Again, not that long into the presidency, it's it, it, regardless of what moderate move you're making, it's a moderating force that's pushing it back in the other direction. But then, wouldn't it make sense? <laughs> Wouldn't it make sense for him to reach out to moderate Democrats at this point? No. No, oh, no, no I think I'm right. They're oh, even more no. reasonable than right? the moderate Republicans. No, because he, if, if he's going to moderate, if there's if there, if he's looking for, to break up the parties, and he, he wants to run with his more populist vision and, and get rid of the Bannonites and move to a more moderate spot, I think he could peel some Democrats off. No. But that, okay, this goes back to your whole thing about it presumes forethought, and there is none of that. Well, okay, you're right, no forethought. Maybe Priebus, maybe. I support Priebus. you, Bill. But maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe just. My non American scholar. Okay, okay, okay. Come on. okay. Who, people who like him, right? If he came back and said, I'm willing to do more pop, more populism, like a, a, a traditional populism, um, I think that could win. I think that could be useful. Somebody's knocking at our door. This is this is strange. No, I, I'm I'm like intrigued by this notion, Bill. Because yeah. Like in in Sorry, the in you. New Hampshire, the the um uh the the discussion, you know, the, a lot of Bernie supporters, um uh, <laughs> a lot of Bernie supporters, like once Bernie was out, like there was question about whether they were going to go Hillary or whether they were going to go Trump, right? Yeah. So they're like. There is some level of overlap here in ways that I think, yeah, I mean, there's there's a part of the Democratic base that Trump could reach out to. Yeah. But it, so all of this is going to depend on, so there would have to be a strategic, strategic choices made where previous would understand this using legislative affairs to see which House members in particular that are up for re-election that won House races where Trump maybe won, where they had sort of marginal victories as we came in 2016, yeah. that maybe there's a way to put some pressure to say on these issues which are salient to your voters mm. as you're up for re-election, maybe there's a way, maybe. For senators, this is going to be much, much more difficult. Right. Because right. the, the constituency is sure. more diverse. Yeah. yeah. Right. But for House members, may, maybe. But even with that... Right now, because as Phil pointed out before, like the parties are so far apart, and the 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 approval of Trump is so far yeah. apart that it had to be on specific issues, on a specific proposal, at a specific time, especially as we get closer to the so, midterms. What like what about like um, I'm just thinking about like so universal access to Medicare, right? Like that seems like something that would like the Democrats would eat it up. A lot of Republicans would not like it, but a lot of the Trump's base, like if you weren't the calling it Obamacare, yeah, would would support that, right? So like, is there is there some weird, like, oddly liberal type of approach that would be actually appealing to a lot of Trump's base and to? 
so you know, I, across the aisle. So I would say yes, but it depends on if that's on the decision agenda, right? So like right now, Medicare access is not something that's on the decision agenda. Now, if it was strategically placed there in order to get the support, I don't, I don't know what do, this decision agenda thing is that you mentioned. <laughs> So there's the governmental agenda, which is like something that's in sort of the like the lexicon. It's like in the arena, it's things we talk about. The decision agenda are things that actually end up in front of Congress, right? So like decisions that can be made for policies to be passed. If it gets to that point, which I don't see it being at the top of the list of policy proposals that the Republican Party has any interest in right. engaging in, particularly because Paul Ryan controls the agenda right. in Congress. Yeah, right. That would assume that there's kind of a relationship between the Trump administration and Paul Ryan, which I think we can presume there's not. So what are we to make of Kansas and Georgia? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So that, that's, here, here's totally. a, yeah, that's so. Yeah. Put yourself in, in the place of a some sort of leader of the Democratic Party right now. The data comes in that you've now lost five what, five elections since? We suck at winning elections. Right, yeah. We can't put a legislative so, alliance without an electoral If election. that's the information that you're getting, why would that not be the priority over everything else right now? Because you can't set the agenda. Mm-hmm. You don't control Congress. Right, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So why would why would winning not oh. be the only oh, agenda that you have right now? It yeah. is. Right. For Democrats anyone in the win. minority. Right. Right. That's it. For anyone it doesn't matter about win, policy. Win, win, win. Right. He's on his phone. Let me just, for, the, for our <laughs> listeners... Phil has slumped in his chair. He's on his phone. He has checked out of this conversation. <laughs> He's tweeting. He's tweeting. So for anyone in the minority, their sole goal is to get back in the majority. Right. Which and is figuring what, out ways. Yeah. You took my midterms class. You know this, right? That was so many years but ago. Still, but yes, I do vaguely remember Right. That, that's about, the but, sole goal. And it's right. trying to figure out how how to do it. Right. And So that means there's it's any sort of redefinition of the two parties i don't see that being likely in any way shape i 100 agree with you i'm not so sure i i I think you're wrong i know i'm I'm wrong on most things all right two things one if you're wondering what the 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 disturbance was they were trying to take our trash out these lovely people that want to clean our yes and i was i was very inappropriate trying to wave them out of the podcast meanwhile i'm waving Second of all, I do think the parties can realign, and if there's going to be a, mo- this feels like the moment, right? Uh, there's, if we look at what's happening in Europe, right? Everybody's there's a there's a move toward the center. Phil, back me up on this. He's busy. Uh, yeah. What the hell are you talking yeah. about? So the far right and the far left are I've moved in those directions, and the center is saying like we don't want to be aligned with those crazies and those crazies. So suddenly the center becomes its own thing, and I think. The, there's a potential for that in the United States. Phil Barker, back me up. He knows he doesn't look at me. He looks away from <laughs> yes, me because yes, he doesn't want to see my yes. face. Or but you're talking about more of the population as opposed to the actual governmental structure. Those that know? are in charge, right? Right. You can run the institution. Hmm. Oh, Phil. Go, Phil. <laughs> so Phil texted me. I checked out five Nukabu. minutes ago. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't think we're gonna. For the record, for the record, you just sent me a text calling me a nincompoop, which like is a word that ages Phil more than anything else. I think that's a term that I learned from Bill, though. To be fair, this is technically true, but uh, Uh, I mean, realistically, you're you're talking about the 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 popular sentiment more than the actual members that are governing those countries are you not i I just within the united states i feel there's not no i'm talking about in europe oh in europe so a lot of european the united states (laughs) 
It's so different from what you said. <laughs> about the right, and, and Europe is different because there's a lot of uh, proportional PR systems there, so you can get different movements. Yes, uh, and the institutions are different here. Yes. But I, Trump could be one of those individuals that shakes this up. To go all the way back to Phil's original question, I think if there was going to be a moment where the U.S. system is shaken. Trump is that candidate. Oh, it's I, a moment. Yeah. I don't know if it's that moment. Maybe. Yeah. I think there. You're, I mean, yeah. I mean, there. If if you have a, a crazy appear out on the far left or the far right, all of a sudden your moderate members across the aisle start to seem more sensible and reasonable. Um, that is easier, I think, in a proportional style election 100% in Europe. One hundred percent true. In which, you know, when Marine Le Pen, which is not a proportional style system, but in France, when you have the the National Front start to kind of pull ahead, all of a sudden, the you know, so if if it ends up a runoff between the National Front, the crazy right wing, and anybody else, right? The anybody else is going to seem really reasonable to everyone, right? That was Kasich um, compared to Trump during right, the primary. Right. Right. Now, that, that's a little, that, that's a difficulty, it's more difficult to achieve that in a system that's been gerrymandered and structured in ways in which parties and party control of the House and Senate matters. And so it's it's a little more difficult, but I, I still think it can happen. If I grew up a, a diehard Republican Southern Baptist and then at some point in my life became a Democrat, it can happen to anybody. That was my, influ- that was my influence on Phil. Uh-huh. Um, Good job. <laughs> the other thing I would point out, so you brought up the French elections, which are coming up this week. No! <laughs> and, I had to get one in. <laughs> right. And so it's likely that a moderate and Le Pen will win. But it is possible that a far left, this like communist guy, yeah. is yeah. going to win and Le Pen would anymore. win. And so then suddenly what does that look like? So then suddenly France might be faced with this extreme left and extreme right. What does turnout look like? Right. I'm ex- that I, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope I hope Macron wins and it, Wait, it becomes uh, that's Mac- Macron. Macron. That's the way you pronounce Macaroni? it. Yes. Macaroon. The guy who who married his high school teacher, is that right? <gasps> what? Or elementary oh, school teacher? That's even worse. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, it's not in France. That's just the, that's just Google normal. this. If you like, want some if you want fun the third. after the podcast is over, go and do John Oliver's like this week, uh, because he breaks down the French election and he talks about all the candidates and it's fascinating. So alright. Alright. I'm gonna love you. Uh, All right, Nick. Do we have to stop? Yeah, I, I, right. I think we're good. Any any oddball news stories? Does anybody have anything? I know we talked about how none of us really looked at anything. It was a, it was this, a weird but, week. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I uh, okay. So when I'm here, I typically talk about Ivanka, and mm-hmm. so I mentioned this before we started taping yeah. that. Oh yeah. The day that she meets with the Chinese officials, all of her trademarks in China get approved, what? and. I've said this when I've been on the podcast before, and I feel frustrated about Ivanka in a lot of ways, that um, the position in which she has been elevated, warranted or not, um, as, a, as a woman, I feel a bit frustrated by how she is using her position. Wouldn't anybody, though, in that position? Yeah. Well, I, there's so many things I can say yeah. right now. Yeah. How, how much of a war do I want to engage in with yeah. the at this point? <laughs> this continues to be, I still think, the big scandal of the Trump administration. I think the, the Russia stuff yeah. is big, and it continues, and and it's not it's not insignificant. It's important, but but the obvious like in our face thing that is that is so apparent with the Trump administration is the corruption and nepotism and the extent to which like access to power is being monetized 
to benefit the Trumps, right? In ways that are just shameless That's right. or shameful, depending on whose side you're on. That's right. And I think with some with someone like Ivanka, who's a young working mother and oh, as a woman who's, I don't know how young I am anymore, but at least a working mother, um, looking at how she has been elevated and what she could do with that platform and how she's sort of turning it inward and being super selfish about it. Maybe that's how the family is and that's not at all surprising and she's elevated her husband and all of these things. Um, but all this talk during the campaign, which I never bought, but maybe some women did about like, we're going to talk about paid family leave and we're going to talk about working mothers and we're going to, I'm going to be in a position to advocate for you. Not that I ever bought any of it or, or have been on board with her at all. But maybe she needed these positions. She needs help. She that. she be, needs a leg up more than anyone. To be in to the be fair, that she makes. To be fair, we have talked about it. It was mentioned in the State of the Union speech for like thirty seconds. I the throwaway. Give credit where credit is due. Right, right. I feel like when I come on, we talk about the women because I'm the woman. No, no, no. We, 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 last week you brought up women at we, some point. We, we do the three men. We bring it up a lot, but feel less licensed to yes. do so. So I would, I would just point out again that the day she meets with Chinese officials, her trademarks get approved in China. Yeah. So I'm just gonna throw that out. Yeah, there. that's that's an interesting. The point. the one thing I would I would drop before we wrap up is that next week if my we have my good friend Joe Giamo on the podcast from the University of Arkansas Little Rock, and I think we're gonna talk about at least a little bit. This whole execution. Uh, oh yeah! Yes. Oh wow! Ooh, yeah. This is such good timing. Yay. I know. Like, Yay! Just, for execution. Just, just a, a, really <laughs> sad how how the four of us cheered at the mention of well, execution. Well, all right. So uh, yeah. a, a preview, right? yeah. a preview of what will come. <laughs> Different so, topics. Yeah. Right. Arkansas tried to speed up a couple executions uh, because they're. Right. Well, just we'll leave it at that. So, uh, and Joe will bring some expertise in all of that. So, mm-hmm. it should be a, a fun podcast next week. Um, do we uh, plugs? Uh, check us out on Facebook, uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L. Uh, the email has been quiet of late, but uh, you know, send us some emails. And of course, if you like the, if you like the podcast, share it with your friends. We would love <laughs> to have more people listening. Yes. Uh, review it on iTunes. Yes. That's how we get better exposure mm-hmm. um did we mention facebook yet did you facebook, facebook? yes uh, at barstool politics um it's very funny we try very hard not at all um to to make it funny for you it's pretty um, funny it's pretty funny no, the one of donald trump left and then easter bunny on right that I'm was sorry i was like there's only so much i could do it's funny yes. no, i'm giving you props like that was funny. i tried to find something with donnie darko and it didn't yes it played out that way um yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks again for Th- coming in. Thank you for having me. It's Cheers. So much fun. Nice. I appreciate Cheers, it. Thanks, guys. Phil. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>